Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino. I am the communications coordinator here at Syracuse University in the Office of Alumni Engagement. We are so thrilled that you took time to find our podcast here wherever you find your podcasts. Our podcast is growing. This is our third episode of the Cuse Conversations podcast. We had Mary C. Daly, the commencement speaker, outstanding president and CEO of the Federal Reserve of San Francisco, on as our first full guest. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming on the outgoing dean of the iSchool, Dean Liz Liddy, joining us here on the program. And uh, Dean Liddy, thank you so much for coming in today. Glad to do it. Glad to. Is it has it hit you yet that you have officially retired as the dean. I know it's been a little bit more than a month uh, since commencement. How, how has all these feelings of emotions kind of hit you so far? You know, it's been fine. I was prepared for it. I had decided just before I announced last August that I was going to. I typically make pretty quick decisions. It felt right at that moment. And I decided and you know shared with the chancellor that I was going to retire, shared it with this whole school of faculty. And I decided so it was... Um, by the time it came, um, the day for it, it seemed right. I know you you did something that was kind of unique. You've done a lot of, and we'll get to your career accomplishments with Syracuse, but you get to have a farewell tour <clears throat> announcing your that you were leaving in the fall at the opening convocation. How did you find the year went as far as the farewell tributes? Did you feel it was special having a chance to kind of give the community that much advance notice before you walked away? It was great because, for one thing, we did road trips. We do re- the high school does regular road trips where they take twenty to thirty students to different cities, each for a week. So they go to Chicago, New York, San Francisco, um, the, you know, the uh, many cities on the West Coast. They go and they do a week, and it counts as a course for the students. They don't have to be high school. What they do is they visit maybe four companies a day to learn about what the future is for those who have an information science background. And so at each of these events, there was a celebration in honor of me. And I met many, many, many of our alums in each city who came for the celebration, along with the students who were with us, you know, and the um, representatives of the different companies and organizations we were visiting. So I got, um, I had some practice at it. (laughs) That's so cool that the community got a chance to not to say farewell because it's not like you're gone, but you know, you leave a position of power like the Dean. And I know that being a Dean, I've never been one myself, (laughs) but it's a collaborative effort. And there's so many people that kind of work underneath and work with you to accomplish the goals. And you've had so many successful accomplishments with the iSchool. If I had to ask you, what would you say stand out the most as far as impactful accomplishments during your tenure? Well, what I'm most proud of is the success of our students. You may or may not know this, but the placement rate and the starting salaries of our students is the highest of any on any school on campus and has been so for about the past five years. What we do is I feel great obligation for what the parents have done in paying tuition for these students and the students are preparing for their future. So what we're doing is um, ensuring that what they've learned is prepares them to get tremendous jobs. And they do. And many, many of them then come back to school and recruit from the up from the current students after they're out there for, you know, two years or so and come back. So that's what I think is the greatest accomplishment. Um, the school started out as a library science program. I started out, my first degree was a master's in library science, and then I got my PhD in information science. And um, what we have done over time is really 
follow what is happening in the information field. Because when you think about it now, it's like amazing. People didn't used to think about what information was and what the jobs were. But now, I mean, think of of everything that there is and it's like information, data, it's all where the opportunities are. And so we have been, I think one of the advantage of being a relatively smaller school is that we can evolve quickly. And so we're very entrepreneurial. We're very much evolving. We start new things. We try new things. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but we try them. And probably 95% of them have worked very, very well. You have the interesting perspective of having been around the iSchool for so long, simultaneous with the adapting of new technologies in, in real life. I mean, if you were to say 30 years ago that you would have a pocket-sized computer, first of all, the internet itself was a foreign concept, and at least to the average citizen, that was something that yeah. seemed so far away from coming to fulfillment. What has it been like? trying to prepare students to enter the workforce, to get great jobs in a field that is always constantly evolving? I think one way that we have um, accomplished this is we always take professionals from the field. We have our faculty who are, you know, high quality PhD level um, scholars, researchers. They, They know the basics of it, and then they eventually learn everything new as well. But we hire many, many um, professionals who come in and teach for us. And they're the ones who come, they come from the big companies. They want to teach. They, te- they prepare the students so that they're ready. They, the students can combine all the basics that they get in their core courses with what is currently happening. What do I need to know if, in order to get um, a job that I'm, very, that I'm interested in? So it's this combination, I think. They have the basics, they have the groundwork of knowing, you know, how is, what is data? How do you process data? And then the specifics of, well, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm at Google and I'm, you know, have one responsibility and there's, you know, trillions of, you know, sources that I should be using, they know how to do it. So that's what I think has um, really, you know, I think has worked for our students and for the school. Aside from the physical growth of the information studies uh, program itself. How else have you seen the iSchool change and adapt when it comes to preparing? Because parents trust that when they send their students to Syracuse in the iSchool, they're going to get a world-class degree. They're going to get that job placement and the higher salary that you talked about during the open. But getting them here is one thing, and obviously they have to make it from being a a first-year student to graduation and degree completion. How has the iSchool changed in that philosophy, um, or has it changed since you started? I don't know if it has changed. We've always um, been very attentive. We keep our staff to student ratio such that the students always have folks that they can work with. They're never stuck that they don't have a chance to meet their advisor. They don't that they never get stuck not being able to schedule something. So we've always focused on that. The other thing that um, I put a lot of um, attention and the school has responded very well to is what we've done in terms of success of female students. When um, it used to be very, very few females went into the information arena. And I would I can remember in early days when I had finished my PhD and I would go to conferences and be giving you know, talks based on my research. I used to always write in the upper right-hand corner of it how many women were speaking over how many men were speaking. 
And frequently, it was three women. All the rest were male. And frequently, the females were the last speakers. And so it would be sometimes not everyone would still be there. And so I, you know, spoke about that quite a bit at the conferences. They started adjusting. But the other thing we did, and I did this based on the suggestion of a young female part-time worker in the iSchool who one day came and stood in my doorway and said, you know, we, it's so hard for us to get females here. Why don't we bring up busloads of girls from New York City for a weekend and introduce them to it? So that's how it started, the It Girls. And so we would bring, it would be no cost. We would cover the cost. We would bring young girls from New York on buses to, the, to Syracuse. They would do a weekend. It would be the It Girls weekend. Our female faculty and staff would work with them. We'd bring in guest speakers, females, typically quite famous, and they would talk to the students. We are now. I mean, and what it was, the young women would suddenly realize, oh, it's not what I thought it was. You know, they would think it was like, oh, a guy kind of thing, and it's just coding. It's females frequently like to focus more on problem solving for others. And so they found out, oh, yeah, there is all that in information. We are now, um, for this past year, we were 48% female. So we had gone from, you know, we were like 7%. A number of years ago we are now at that level and the women are doing great the companies want to hire them they're getting great jobs but and i'm always very very grateful it was a young female who stood in my door who pitched me and i like pitches <laughs> and i fell for her pitch and i said that's right let's try it so we tried it and so we've been doing it for 10 years you know it's the 10 year anniversary and that's where we are now but it was little by little by little and um I'm, that's one thing I'm very, very proud of. Oh, Having been a female in a field that was overwhelmed by males and knowing what it's like, it was like nice. How did you see the iSchool curriculum and the faculty embracing that mentality of giving opportunities to, to women, giving opportunities to minorities to get more into STEM fields where in the past those segments had either been overlooked or weren't mm -hmm. aware of the opportunities? No, it was. Many people didn't even realize it. Truthfully, I hadn't in the beginning. And it was until I started going to conferences and realizing, oh, we're kind of minimized here. But then in terms of the um, population in school, they, they went along well with it. The faculty in the iSchool is, is absolutely exceptional. They're very open-minded. They're very communal. And so they, they, um, they do it. They work it. <laughs> your, um, your decorated career has, has touched a lot of people's lives, has had a lot of focus and it's always been more on like the information studies part of it and the natural language processing. I've seen that in a bunch of places as a key phrase used to describe your research right. and your background. To the layman, what, is, what does okay. that mean, natural language I processing? I will say many people <laughs> use the phrase NLP or natural language processing um, as if they know what it is and they really don't. What I explain it in terms of human language processing, um, when you hear a sentence you don't stop and process whether it's, oh, is that a noun? Is that a verb? What's the meaning of it? You know, so, oh, woman, that's a female human. But what it is, is NLP is utilizing for the computer to utilize resources. Think of a dictionary. Think of, a, you know, other, you know, thesauri or other resources or, um, you know, a lexicon that explains this is the verb. This is the noun. The noun is the one who's performing that action. And just representing that in code 
such that then when someone asks a question, like who, who was it who said that? You, the system will know that who you're looking for a female, a, a human. So what it is, that's basically what it is. It's um, doing what it is that our brains do. It's like we do all that. It's th thought of as semantic level processing. There's syntactic, which is just like the, oh, you know, what's the, you know, what is the, um, the, the action here? What is the verb? What is the subject of this? And that's like the, that's the syntactic. The semantic is like, we have access, our brain has access to all these huge, huge dictionaries, the sori, and that's what you build in a system so that the system can just look it up very, very quickly. And so that natural language processing means instead of doing just dumb word analysis, you know, it's going to the meaning of it. Where did that passion come for, for natural language processing? You know what it was? I was like really frustrated. I learned to code when I was first a doctoral student and um, all the resources that were available had nothing to do with the real meaning. And it would just be, you know, it would almost be like spelling matching. You just match on spelling, not on the meaning of anything. And so I took courses down at Cornell with Joe Grime, Professor Joseph Grime, who was the founder of the field of linguistics known as discourse processing, which means instead of just doing syntax of a single sentence or semantics of a single sentence, discourse means you look at um, a length of text. So it might be a paragraph, it could be a whole novel, but you look at it, what's it mean? altogether because word by word by word doesn't really convey the meaning. It's like putting it all together. And that was discourse. So I took two courses um, down at Cornell um, in, with him in discourse and then did probably one of the first dissertations in, in discourse. And so then I won several um, national and international awards for the dissertation because it was the first time those things had been looked at. And um, I was fortunate because at that point when I had just won these awards, um, I was looking for a faculty position. I did not think Syracuse would keep me because I was local. They don't always keep their own, but they <laughs> offered me a faculty position. So it's nice to get awards just in time. We are talking here with Liz Liddy, the retired dean of the iSchool as of a month ago here on the Accused Conversations podcast. And, uh, and Liz, your, your background is fascinating because, you know, from what I gather, you come from a family of entrepreneurs. That, to me, having those innovative mm -hmm. thoughts where people, your, your new ideas are open and welcomed, how did that upbringing, being surrounded by folks who had the entrepreneurial drive, how did that influence you? Well, I think it influenced me tremendously. It made me fearless. Um, um, I grew up in a family of five kids and my parents in a very small house. My father... Um, started his own company, invested in something that no one else had. He would, we had no car. He walked to work every single day. Um, our only entertainment was to go to the library on Saturdays with him and get our own library books. And then you could ride the bus because you had all those books to carry. But um, he was one of the first to think about what he had bought was a storefront that sold janitorial products like brooms and wax and things like that. He was the first one to think this is a service business. So he started providing janitorial service. So instead of every school having to hire their own janitor, he, it would be a service that someone else would come in instead of the people who live there. So they started doing, um, you know, service like that 
typically they started with um, Air Force bases and they would do Air Force bases. And then, um, you know, they just kept getting larger and larger. I learned, I did payroll for them. I worked there all my life until um, I went to school. And, um, you know, I did payroll things. But it was amazing to watch because it went from being very small. I would do this many people's checks. And then all of a sudden it was this many checks. And then, of course, you automate it. But um, so he did that. And then I have three brothers, each of whom have had startups, one of whom was the first to realize that um, asbestos removal was going to be a big business because he had read a small piece in the Wall Street Journal saying for companies that still have asbestos, they're going to be sued. They're not going to be able to operate. So he started, and very naturally, they were working with my father's company in different divisions of it. And so he went from just selling supplies to being the one providing asbestos removal services. He ended up doing um, the Olympics, <laughs> GE Worldwide. <laughs> and so, you know, that just grew tremendously. And then he, he bought and owned several sport teams, and they all did different things like that. So it was very natural. And, and, and besides it coming naturally to you, it inspired that fearless attitude. And your, your first startup company, uh, the tech company TextWise, mm -hmm. um, how did you come up with the idea to devise this? And what was the company all about? It was the first um, natural language processing-based search engine. So what I was explaining about how NLP works on search. So um, I actually was encouraged by someone who heard, give me, heard me give a talk. Um, on what the research I was doing. And one of my brothers was teasing me. They're going, yeah, you're the smart one. You've got the PhD and you're the one who's driving the VW while everyone else has a better car. So that was the way it happened. And um, <laughs> I just, um, I met someone, uh, uh, I, I got a very successful financial backer who was in the finance and um, Ooh, I think investment business who saw what NLP could do for he and his folks when they were trying to understand different corporations, who to invest in. And so he, he funded me to start off and then we got contracts. Um, the U so we broke, you know, it was a search engine. It was a search engine that actually understood, not just, you know, match word by word, but it, you know, this was the this was the doer of the action. This was the result of it, and this was the consequence. All that, and so um, ended up that the U.S. Patent Office used it, and the and the um, European Patent Office used it. Very very successful, and then you know corporations started using it. So it was um, it was fun. We got to, I had about sixty people working in, in the university in the high school. And so, you know, we would hire not just students, many of them were elsewhere. We brought them in, some from Europe, some from the United States. And um, we, we grew, we grew, got very <laughs> successful and did um, other types of um, textual analysis for different, different, different companies. The company is still going. I um, left after five years. Um, sounds odd to say, but I got bored. Um, which is what happens. And I got bored and I had other ideas. I was doing a whole lot of work with the intelligence agencies. And I liked that. That was very, very challenging. And it really wasn't something that was amenable to do within a company, but I could do it as an academic researcher. So um, I did a lot of that. The company's still going. <laughs> I know um, <clears throat> Syracuse really prides itself on, you know, you offer the world-class education, but you also push 
the envelope, push the boundaries. And entrepreneurial endeavors are really, it seems like they're on the rise. There's more emphasis on if you want to do your own startup company, go out there and do it. We're going to prepare you, give you all the skills you need, and then it's up to you to put your acumen to the test. What do you think in your mind makes up a good entrepreneur? What are the traits? What are the characteristics mm. that they should have? Well, it's interesting because right now I'm mentoring. Um, I do mentoring from um, different programs. I've got seven student startups I'm mentoring right now uh, from a program at Lemoyne. And um, what it is, is it's like, first of all, having good ideas. It's trusting yourself. It's being willing to change. You, you know, if you have an idea and it, you just have to notice, oh, it's not working or it could work or I should listen to this person. I think it's open mindedness at the same time that if your idea was the right idea, that if you should stick with it, you stick with it. So I think it's the ability to, you know, make those decisions. You know, is it time to switch? Is it time to specialize? Is it time to um you know, and listen, I think you just have to always, always, always listen. The same way I listened to that young girl who stood in my door and said, let's send a bus to New York. You know, that's what you've got to do. You've got to listen. You know, you, you yourself could um, have good ideas, but they're not the only ideas. There's one of the exciting parts about working in an industry like iSchool with the students graduating, getting their degrees is innovation is, is always happening. Where do you see the information studies, the data sciences, where do you see these fields heading in the next five, 10 years? I think they just keep expanding. Um, we do a lot with startups now. You know, we have a, we have a, uh, um, specialization within our school, information design and startups, IDS. It's a, you know, it's a, there's four courses in it. The students take it. They do startups. Many of them have been hugely successful you know, bringing in millions and millions for themselves and um, large companies. But it is the ability to get the right coaches in there with them so that when someone is pitching, you know, and we do a lot of this with the Tech Garden where they have many of the startup companies. And it's it's that ability to to say things, present things in such a way that those who have ideas can adapt to them, can change to them if they need to or can be encouraged to go in the direction they were going. But it's, um, I think people who can mentor, um, are, I mean, are just so valuable. With your well-deserved retirement, you will not be a stranger uh, on the Syracuse campus and your impact will still be felt through the programs that the iSchool has, has implemented and continued to offer to our great students here at Syracuse. But if you had to answer, what would you say is the part you're gonna miss the most about it can be about being the dean it can be about working with students it can be about the women in stem but what's really going to stand out and say boy i i wish i could go back or i'm going to miss this yeah, the most about yeah. retirement well it's probably the students uh, but i've always ensured that i have pretty pretty solid connection to the students when we have those road trips i talked about to different cities i go on them for half the time because i really like to see the students meeting the companies hearing i like to hear what the companies are saying to the students so um i probably will miss that and truthfully i'll miss the staff we have exceptional staff support at the high school and you can think of them as support but in many many ways they are the backbone of the school and our faculty are key but equally key are the staff. Well, we know that, again, your impact will be felt. You've made a tremendous amount of decisions that have really helped shape the future for students here at Syracuse University. Is there anything else you want to add that we haven't got to talk about during our segment of the interview here? 
Nope. I just would encourage people to, you know, have faith in yourself. You know, if others tell you something, think about it. Don't just reject it, but listen to it. But also at the same time, have faith in your own ideas. Fearless, critical thinking, no, no doubting your convictions. Believe in yourself and you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. It's a very positive message out there. And uh, we appreciate Liz Liddy stopping by the Q's Conversations podcast. We look forward to having you come back and check us out for our next installment of the podcast here on alumni.syr.edu and also anchor.fm slash Q's Conversations. Until the next time, my name is John Boccasino signing off for the Q's Conversations podcast.